0: Recorded live from the mats of Radical MMA in New York City, the Martial Culture Podcast, your source for in depth combat sports and martial arts insights with Coach, Coach Renee Rene Drive and, and Matt, Matt Pierce. Ring the bell and let's get Bing. it on. Hey, 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 hey. What up? I'm trying out new stuff. Is that good? Or not? <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I, I like that. <laughs> uh, welcome to Martial Culture
1: Podcast. Uh, welcome.
0: Renee, we're back. We are
1: back. And uh, I just want to start thanking uh, all our listeners. We had, I think, like one of our biggest uh, downloads of the last few episodes, and you guys are really supporting the show. And uh, we still have that, um, you know, uh, the giveaway for for Barry's killer book, Killer Collective. Yes. So anybody wants a book, write an iTunes the best iTunes review or something else, right? You said something like that, right? And we'll we'll get in send contact for, with yeah, us we'll, yeah,
0: get our attention.
1: Yeah, and we'll uh, we'll give you a book. Yeah, and also. We still have our question uh, – uh, fan question thing. So if anybody has any questions about martial arts, uh, martial arts history, MMA, uh, whatever you want to ask, uh, send them in. At, you can go to Facebook or martial culture or even the Instagram and uh, we'll uh, see which, if it's an interesting question. We'll definitely answer it.
0: I have a question about martial arts for you. Sure. Do I have to start at white belt or can I just like jump ahead?
1: Well, you could be like Ben Askren and promote yourself to black belt. I
0: can promote myself? <laughs> <laughs> Is there a website I have okay, to go to? So that's
1: actually like a really, really interesting I don't subject. want to start at the okay, bottom. So let's – you know, we talked about belts a little bit. And like like at the end of the day, it's like does a belt really matter? You know, it's your, your fighting skill. But some people really crave that outward um, – you know respectability, like you know, like um, they say, doctor isn't a doctor he, unless he wears his white lab coat. You know, you're not really martial artist unless you can wear the black belt. And I had this guy come in yesterday, and he knew me. He knew me about 15 years ago, maybe a little more before I got my black belt in jujitsu. Although I didn't advertise, I had black belts in many martial arts. It's not like a big deal. Uh, you don't I, wear them around the house. I don't. You know, I wear them all the time. Yeah. <laughs>
0: He's got all of them on right now.
1: <laughs> yeah, all of, everywhere. Everywhere, all I go, of them. everywhere I go. Everywhere yeah. I go. Like, um, do you remember that UFC champion? Uh, what's his name? Um, shoot, we were talking about the other day, and he won. Uh, you know, the one who defecated his pants once in a fight. Um, <laughs> what's his name? Um, um shoot, from should Matthew, I ask Siri? You, hey you, Siri. <laughs> you know, um, oh, you know, he he's kind of he he Matt, Matt uh, uh, he lost his title to um to Randy Couture, I believe. Oh, what's his name? Silva, Tim Sylvia. Oh. So Tim Sylvia won his MMA belt, and then he wore it around town. I heard for like three days. So he's going to like you know, the 11 He's just wearing his belt. He's like wherever he goes, he wears his belt. You know, he's, he's proud. He's proud. You no, know, it's not a bad thing, I guess. You know, but and I think it it portrays something about your your inner your inner self. Maybe you know. Yeah. Do you really need these external validations and? Um, and, uh, you know, we, we are a very status-obsessed society, but especially here in New York, where, you know, belts matter
0: so much. I once wore a black belt with brown shoes, and everybody threw rocks at me.
1: Oh, my God. Was it after Labor Day, the <laughs> yeah, wrong color? It was, or no? like, it was Labor Day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, Isn't that the thing? Like, after Labor Day, you're supposed to not wear white? Do you remember know, where that like came that. from? This is real. We're no going idea. off
0: the rails. I have no idea. Back in the olden days, uh-huh. washing your clothes was like an upper-class thing. So if you wore white... Because white is the hardest to keep clean, that meant you were rich. Oh, so they would make these rules like you only you only can wear white these days. But if you wore something else, you're like, oh, well, now I know you're poor.
1: Oh, interesting. Hey. No, and but you fact. know, I actually I actually really love those facts. It's like the just the day to day sayings that we have, or just the day to day assumptions that we have. They came from somewhere, and if you actually look back and what these assumptions are. You know, it says something about the 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 the, the invisible structures of our, our society, mm-hmm. and sometimes those structures are not really beneficial. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same thing could be true about martial arts too. Any any culture, you know, have these these invisible things that we build our lives on. We don't really we don't really think about the those foundations, but sometimes you have to go back and think about them. But um, and the belts is one of them. The belts is one of them. Like, why do we have belts? Well, you know, Kano was the guy who first invented belts. Uh, Jigoro Kano founded judo. And, uh, when, when was that? Uh, I think it was like 1860, 70 something. Now that's Maybe crazy. a little later. Yeah. Because, like, uh, because, in my
0: head, it's like 1500s.
1: Yeah. Well, you know where the belts come from? They're actually, um, they, the ancient Japanese martial arts have a grading system because Japanese are all at the grading. They're like this and this and this, very structured. But it wasn't a belt system. It was the, um, you get this thing called menkyo kaiden or this teacher certificate whatever but it was like these certificates that you get and just to, to show that you were you know there but they d- didn't wear any belts and the belts mm-hmm. you know what you know where the belts actually come from the men's warehouse <laughs> <laughs> no i did not kano copied them from a swim team because swim huh. teams would have starters, and what we you know what we call like red shirts and wrestling with people who start, people who sit on the bench, bench warmers and fighters, right? Or, or competitors, right? And the people who were the competitors would wear a little black sash around their waist. See, these are the guys competing and these are the guys the guys who didn't have the black sash wow. would be the the guys who didn't compete. So all this like mythology behind belts and stuff like that are are, are completely erroneous. They I mean obviously Japanese people wore belts. So you could say all right, in their regular day-to-day clothing, <laughs> yes, they did wear obi or belts, but they didn't look anything like the martial art belts you have. And the martial art uniform is based on a thing called the samui, which is a Japanese workman's uniform. Um, it's not anything, you know, in Japanese traditional clothing. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that's why a lot of styles on top of a Japanese uh, keiko gi or, or gi a uh, uniform, uh, uh, the the white pajamas they have a they wear the they used to wear the traditional hakama which is like a skirt because that's actually more traditional what they used to wear these the Japanese would wear these like Scottish kilt like skirts and then they didn't wear a belt over that there was just a thing that it kind of cinched everything together but um you know the belts are real invention but they're so important to Americans like in Japan it was like not really a big deal. Mm. It isn't. It's not really a really big deal. It's like, okay, you're not a beginner anymore. And that's really what showdown means. It's like your, your first step. You're not a beginner anymore. Okay, we can take you seriously. So it really, in the in the, the sense, belts are like a safety mechanism. You know, there's a safety mechanism to make sure that the new guy isn't fighting the guy who's been here 10 years and, you know, you don't get, you know, your your butt whooped because or you get hurt, and um and I think that's important especially because Kano was also the guy who said every day we've got to spar and he used to call sparring randori which is live combat and a lot of Japanese traditional styles didn't didn't emphasize that live combat as much but he said okay we're doing live combat day one guy can't fight ten year master can't happen so we have to have these divisions and it used to be white black and when I was training in Japan it was basically it was white, black. There was like sometimes there was one belt in between a brown, but really they didn't really care. It was white and black, and that was it. And um, yudansha, which means you have a black belt, and mudansha, which means you don't have a black belt. And that's it. And nobody really gives a crap. And, um, and the thing I love about judo, which is what makes judo so unpopular in America, is that to earn your belt, you must win in tournaments. You can't just like put your time in and say you're an awesome guy. You actually have to win. Mm. You have to win a lot. And um and but you know I think this is why the the martial arts that do so well in in MMA are not really belt oriented. Wrestling, boxing. Now they have these divisions between amateurs and pros. Boxing has novice, open class, all these things, pro. So you have these ways of re- of of separating people, but you don't have these like Things that you put on your waist and walk around and like think you're a big man on campus. Mm -hmm. And it's funny, you make a joke, but it's true because the minute you put a belt or you add that little that thing into the discussion, people become more focused on the belt Mm -hmm. than they do on the training. And and I mentioned this book and it's called Punishment by Rewards. And we talked about this in another podcast, but it's like people get so, so into the status symbol, the Instagram thing, oh, I can post this, that, Mm -hmm. and and you know, and it's like it's all it's all bull crap, man. It's not. It's you're looking for these outsturst. Out belts are powerful. Yeah, yeah. I, think I mean
0: Brianna got to uh my wife I think she got to blue or orange. Mm-hmm. I don't know the rankings, which one's better. Mm-hmm. But she had her old belts from Taekwondo class and I, I put one on one day and I was just messing around like I'm fucking cool.
1: <laughs> I am
0: I'm, I'm powerful. Well it's, like, I'll it's tell psychological.
1: You. I'll tell you, there is something aesthetic about a white gi with a black belt. Kinda looks cool. I think it it's does, maybe I'm, yeah, it's when you know, you I'm like it looks cool. It does look cool, but at the same iconic. time, yeah, it's iconic. That's true, and um, but you know, like focusing on that is like really bad. And the other brings us to the uniform. So this is like a big uh, um, discussion in martial arts. Like, you know, should you wear we should you wear the traditional uniform? What does this mean? Where you know? And then I I think it's it's you know, there's this is one one coach and Danner says, oh, the uniform is. Um, with Coach her uh, John Danner from Hensel Gracie and, and a few other guys in the Brazilian jiu-jitsu world, same thing. They're like, oh, this is our tradition. Hmm. Really? Well, it's only 100 and something years old, that that uniform, because it looks nothing like Japanese kimono, mm-hmm. keiko gi or dogi, you know, the Japanese pajamas, the white pajamas, what we call gi or sometimes called kimono. They look nothing like Japanese traditional wear. So where's this tradition? And… Actually, the original gi's, the original gi was short sleeve, so it looks nothing like it does today. That was a, a modern thing. So, so like, what is this tradition? Where does it come from? Like, I think we have to dig deep in why we do it. Now, you could also say that it's a tool. That's what some jiu jitsu guys say. They say that the gi makes you better. And I think it's a tool, like any tool. That that can be true, but it can also be very not true. And why do we wear a gi? Why do we wear belts? Why do we do this? Um, You know, and, and I think the answer a lot of times, Is like exactly what you said. It looks cool, and and especially here in New York, and we have listeners all over the world. But New York is this weird place where it's like, you know, oh, the Joneses bought a, you know, a a a Mercedes, so we have to have a Lexus or whatever, you Mm -hmm. know, like this this weird competition. Oh, my Joni got his brown belt in Taekwondo. Oh, well, my Johnny got his black belt. It's Mm -hmm. this, this, you know, who can, who, who, this pissing contest. And that is exactly what martial arts is not about. It's disgusting and I hate it. And, and you can see that on Instagram. Like I was just talking with students today, like guys who don't train at all, but they're posting like all the time on Instagram, like with their gloves and I'm a fighter and raps and blah, 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 blah. And it's, it's gross. And the easiest way for martial art guys to make money, also destroy their art is to sell belts. And they do. And I know a guy here in New York who basically you pay him like, 400 bucks or 500 bucks and he'll promote you and it doesn't matter how good you are you suck too much i'd rather put in the work (laughs) most people wouldn't (laughs) you know but they want that they everybody wants to be the man but they don't want to put the work in to be the man yeah they don't you know and it's it just really bothers me um that's why that
0: you were talking about like where the belts and the gi come from yeah and uh, the thing that pops in my head is the people that take advantage of that system. Yeah, and it's like merch. Like you know, it's merch. People yeah. are trying to find something else they can sell you that has a logo on it. Totally. Oh know? my god,
1: absolutely. And and you know, oh, this is actually big. You know, it's so funny you mentioned the logo, because there's a post that came up in it's kind of on Instagram post in my Facebook feed. So there's a very respected instructor who said, when you come to my academy, you have to wear this gi with my patch. It has to look like this. And everybody's like, oh, you know, you just want to sell gis and you're just like, it's just merchandising, you think. Which is like true in a lot of places. Like, holy shit. Yeah. Like, okay, here's this gi that cost me. And guys, I'm on the inside. I run my own academy. So I know you can get these gis pretty cheap, like not incredibly cheap, but it's not like they're like 400 bucks, right? You know, you can get them pretty cheap and then you upsell them like $100. And it's like you're ripping your students off. This is like we have to make money, but it has to make sense and you can't it can't be about exploiting your students mm-hmm. and and i i freaking hate that and and i require my students to get a certain type of gear but my only requirement is it has to be safe and hygienic period it has to be safe and hygienic we got that covered we're good all right i don't care if it has any yeah i'm mean, the one person who's like i don't even care if it's another school's logo on it i don't play politics i have no problem with that mm-hmm. as long as it's Excuse me, as long as it's safe and hygienic. And but you know, this guy was like, Oh, you have to buy this gi with my patch. And I respect that. I don't disagree because even Hicks and Gracie is like, when you come to my academy, you have to have this gi with my patch that's required. Okay, you know, I get it. Um, and they loan you a gi for the day if you visit. And, you know, there's a laundry charge or whatever, but that's cool. You know, I understand you have your spend. People want to have a, a esprit de corps and a uniformity, but the the question is is like are you going to upscale, sell them like $200 ghee when actually you're only paying 20 bucks for it? Mm-hmm. you going to exploit them and make them buy And everybody has to buy a few ghee. So, like, how many, how many have to buy? Like five? That's a lot of money. I remember in the, in the, 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 the cult, the cult podcast, you know, mm-hmm. we were talking about the, the, the true believers. The guy's like, yeah, you have to buy all this ghee, this ghee, this ghee, this ghee. And it's a lot of money. Um, so, uh, um, it's, it's an issue. One, our traditions are not what we think they are. A lot of these martial arts coach themselves in these these grand traditions of history and five hundred years old. And no, that's not true. Mm-hmm. The second, even karate, karate is where the geese are really well known. You know, most uh, karate comes from Okinawa, not Japan. Most people think it's Japanese mainland Japanese. Okinawa is an island annexed by Japan, but it has its own culture and its own uh, uh, dialect and its own and its own. It's much more tropical. They didn't train in gis. They trained bare-chested because it's freaking hot. <laughs> 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 gis, the gi, the, the, the founder of Shotokan Karate Style, Funakoshi Gichin, uh, when he moved to Japan, he's like, oh, this gi thing, it's a little bit, you know, this is actually sanitary. This is a cool thing to wear because Tokyo's a little colder and, you know, hey, it's a sanitary thing so let's, uh, let's wear these gis. But that's why karate guys wear gis now because they copied it from judo. <laughs> it's like, they didn't wear geese before, <laughs> and um, and now it's this big thing, and uh, I, I I don't know. It's these trappings of training that are not training always bother me, mm-hmm. And but that being said, in the self-defense aspect, we, you're right now wearing a hoodie, and um, so understanding what it's like to have your uniform pulled and being manipulated with a piece of clothing or Offsetting the, the massive sweat factor, you know, and trying to get a submission when somebody's like super sweaty and it, it really their escape isn't there, but they use the sweat to get out. That's something that you know that we have to address. If you can, the the clothing is something we wear, so obviously using the clothing to. To attack or uh, to learning how not to be used against you is important. And and for me, back when I was in the karate, one of my favorite things was to grab the guy's lapel and pull him and punch him at the same time. <laughs> so I, I and like that's a real legit move. I'm kind of sad that geese don't do it in MMA because you know it was one of my things. Like, pulling the gi and punch him at the same time get a lot of power there. Um and uh and in hockey, you know, you always see the guys pulling the jersey over the guy's head. Sure. If you don't know how to defend that. You know, you know, so you should train with the uniform as a tool, but rationally and sense sensibly. And, and what about uh, going
0: ancient Greek and just training naked?
1: You guys do that at radical every now and then? We do not. No. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a fetish website, Matt you were talking. That's a different place. Okay. okay. All right.
0: Well, if you ever change your style, let me know, I'll sign up.
1: <laughs> we were, you know, you know, actually it's funny because you know, have you ever heard of Turkish oil wrestling? No. <laughs> so this is a real thing. This is a real sport, and they rub themselves with olive oil, and then they they do traditional wrestling. That's gotta be impossible. And no, it's really hard, right? I have not, actually never done it, but I had a friend, a judo friend from England, who actually competed in it. And it's a real legit sport. It's not. A, a joking thing. It's a cultural tre- treasure. of I don't know that much about it of, of Turkey, and and getting the grips in this uh, 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 when someone's covering all it, incredibly hard. So guess what? You have to be massively technical in your in your grips, mm. and um and it, it's fascinating, you know. So yeah, you know, make a joke, but but that, that to to offset that slipperiness, I'm sure those guys have grips like you know Khabib, like iron, big nails, <laughs> sharp nails too. No, I don't know. I, no. I don't think so. Oh. All right. <laughs> That's what I would do, but I'm a dirty player. Yeah. <laughs> so we got completely off topic. Yeah. Um, Apologies. But uh, no, no. But that, that's uh, that's an interesting. It was an interesting, interesting thing to to ask. I, I actually appreciate
0: martial that. arts swag. Yes. So we had a, a fight night this weekend uh, over think? in the London town. It was uh, really. Inconvenient time, 4 p.m. in the afternoon over in the United States, which may be convenient for some people. Yeah,
1: you know what really bothered me is I finished teaching and then my wife goes, or someone actually it wasn't my wife, someone else uh, said, Oh, yeah, I, 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 the results are up. And I'm like, <laughs> Okay, I got to avoid him," And then I'm just scrolling through my phone just to, just to see something, right? And the result came up like, Oh, and I'm like, I didn't want to see it. You know, but I, I wanted watching it. I'm really glad I did. Um I watched almost the entire card. Uh some really interesting fights. And um I want to say that that I'm sure nobody watched it, but the opening fight between um uh um uh, Grundy. Uh, oh, my, guy, I actually yeah. just watched it before you walked in. I watched the highlights of that one. Yeah, yeah, it was like a like that was a good fight. It Was a really good fight. Talk it's about like, slobberknocker. I know, and technical. <laughs> it wasn't like you know this guy Grundy is is like legit, and I was like, wow, this is really nice to watch. It's like usually mm. the first fight of the night is like me, nee, you know, and uh, they were really freaking good, and um and there was the girl fight, Kashuera versus Molly McCann, uh, um and uh, you know. Not the Coshware's like she's like cyborg, you know, she's just physical specimen and she has a really interesting backstory where she overcame drugs and, you know, kind of like um remodeled her life and doing positive martial arts and I respect that. But she's more like a power fighter than like technical. And then you have McCann who's like champ, but again, like a little bit not As as clean as some of the other people in the division in terms of technique, but definitely, definitely good. But you know, by the end of the fight, I I wasn't interested when I started, but by the end of the fight, that girl Molly Kent, she earned a fan. I was like, whoa, Mm -hmm. this girl is awesome. So she takes an elbow to the eye and she gets her eye basically destroyed. And she's just like, yeah, I'm fine. I keep going. And she just samurai spirits it out and fights her. Freaking. Oh my god. Pretty nasty. And what I liked is what she did, and it's very similar to what um what uh um uh, Masvidal did. She had a really interesting way of mixing grappling and striking to to offset her opponents, you know, to kind of confuse her opponent. And um definitely a little bit way to go, but um but great fight and two two up and comers. I, I hope Cashuera's back. She's she's you know, she's a little more polished, she'll do fine. She's she, – and then McCann, man, that girl, the next time she fights, I'm watching her and mm-hmm. rooting for her. She is – she's just earned my respect. That is great That's and cool. um, really, really cool, cool fight. And then um, there was uh, Danny Hatchet versus uh, Danny Ige and um, beautiful, just beautiful jiu-jitsu. Pass guard, mount, re-neck jump, done. And then, um, then, you know, okay, so um, we, had, we had a fight where it was um, – uh, and the undercard was Silver versus Roberts, And I want to talk about that. And I also want to talk about Wood and Quinones are those two fights, right? So these are, these are all up and comers. But, um, this guy Silva is a BGJ guy. He, um, originally, right, And he's, he's a scrapper and he's, he's good. So he was playing this position, um, um, Half guard, okay? And so for you guys out there who do jiu-jitsu, obviously you know what a half guard is, but for the guys who don't, you basically have one guy's leg strapped, you're on your back, and you're trying to flip him over, trying to sweep him. And there's the half guard at one point in sports jiu-jitsu became like the main position. This is going back like five years ago, but it was like the main thing you do because you could like have so many options there. And there's a guy named Bernardo Faria who used to teach in New York whose like game was what we call deep half guard. And and um, there's a few guys who play that game. In sport jiu-jitsu, there's no punches. And you saw this guy go to half guard and get the snot beat out of him. Just absolutely get the snot beat out of him. And, um, he got so destroyed with ground and pound and hats off to his toughness. I mean, I hats off to his toughness. He came back, put, Roberts in armbar, and this was actually controversial. I don't know if you started. It was very controversial because Roberts, who's a originally like a boxer, type fighter, you know, a lot of martial arts, they go uh, uh, and they have these kind of like key eyes, you know, you know, like they're doing karate, mm-hmm. and they're like sometimes you want to generate power, you want to go uh, you want to grunt right, and that's something he did when he was caught in the armbar, but he was already out, but he was kind of generating like trying to trying to like mm-hmm. enthuse himself or something. Dragon Ball Z style, right, exactly, or something like that, you know, like get his kamehameha going, <laughs> yeah, and nice. um, but. The referee thought it was a verbal tap. Oh come on! Yeah, and he stopped the fight, and you can see he's he's out of the armbar. So it was like the rule is—I mean, the the referee was completely right because the rule is verbal tap is ver- you scream, it's a verbal tap, and and you know with G and we we and my fighters we go off to these local shows and they say if you may, if you're caught in a submission and you go oh, like that, we will stop the fight. That is understood rule, but it, it's sad to say because you know he just made he made a rookie mistake. Um, uh, and, and it kind of like is against the guys of the karate and the Muay Thai backgrounds who kind of <laughs> like this, if they do that when they're caught in a arm, in an arm bar, it's not really the best way to escape anyway. But, but, you know, it's kind of like not a fair thing, you know, <laughs> but it is one of the rules and, uh-huh. and it was like a very controversial tap and I felt, I felt really bad for the guy, you know? So, um, that was, that was like a issue, but, um, but, um, um. It was what it was. It was kind of like reminding me of um you know, we talked about Askren and um and uh and Robbie Lawler where it was kind of like little controversial referee intervention. Yeah, yeah. these things happen, you know. Uh the referee was in the right this time because he did make that noise. But uh um it is what it is, you know. Yeah. Um then, okay, so there's that half guard position which was really really not the way you want to play it in MMA. It was pure sport and he ate it. Then the next fight, it's funny cuz you see a half guard sweep and you know a lot of people say, "Oh, you don't see sweeps in MMA. You don't see sweeps in MMA." Man, this is how you do a sweep in MMA. This guy would he is I'm he's another one. I'm calling it. He's an up and comer. I like this guy. The guy was just putting on the jits. <laughs> I've just made that. Yeah, right. Sing right? that song. Putting on, Put on, <laughs> on the jits. Putting on the jits. Nice. And thank you. Thank Miles, you. write some music to that. Yes. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> um, and he he did this beautiful half guard. Never took a shot and flipped his opponent over. It was like textbook. Wonderful. I'm like, that's how you do it. You, that position is legitimate but has to be mobile and you cannot dive your hand underneath. And guys, this is a little bit self-promotion, but on YouTube, my YouTube channel, which is Radical MMA, I'm doing a lot of guard fundamentals, little short videos. Uh, as some, A person asked me for this, and but uh, I would like you guys to check it out. like Just where to put your hands and where not to put your hands. Just little fundamentals. I'm going to cover this half guard position and how to do it and how not to do it. Because this is actually a really two back-to-back fights where you could see one guy did it wrong. And one guy did it right, and um, and uh, I think it's important. Just the hand placement is very different when punches are involved. So mm-hmm. that was that was like really really interesting, and um, and uh, it was it was interesting. And then we got back to the main card, um, Till Massivell and um, uh, Gunnar Nelson versus Edwards. So do you, you saw both fights, or did just saw the Till Massivell fight? I just watched the Till. Okay, mm-hmm. so um, I was I, I'll tell you what happened in the Gunner fight for the guys who missed it. Okay, so Gunner, like always eats a lot of shots (laughs) and he comes in with his like he's using his karate to uh, cover the distance his hands are really down and let me tell you off the break every single time he got hit like every time Mm. he clinches he breaks and then Wood just clocked him and one time Wood comes over and I believe it was an elbow I'm pretty sure I have to watch it again but it was pretty sure it was an elbow and Woods, I mean, uh, um, Gunnar Nelson's face was disfigured. Look, he had this bone right here, the orbital bone. It exploded out like a space alien, like something from Star Trek. It was terrible. You're like, man, that guy is going have to have to go to the doctor right after the fight. It was really, really bad. And um, it wasn't above the eyebrow. It wasn't here where it was like a hematoma. It was the bone underneath the eye, the cheekbone. And it was just popping out like, like an inch. It was terrible. I was like, whoa. Where's the picture of this? Yeah. And um <laughs> and they're trying to put ice on it in the middle rounds, and he's, like, <laughs> he's like, it's not going down. Absolutely. It's not going down. And uh and um because he 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 one keeps his hands low, but also this is the thing is like if you look at a lot of the successful guys in MMA, they have a great clinch. You saw it with Kamar Uzman. Yep, that's the picture. You see, yeah, yeah. It's like broken underneath. The yeah, not yeah, break yeah. The skin. It didn't break the skin. It just the bone broke and oh popped my out. God. Yeah, <laughs>
0: like somebody compared it to sloth from <laughs> Goonies. <laughs> Twitter, you never let me down.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Baby Ruth. <laughs> what? Um, but uh, um, you know, the, you look at the top guys in MMA, and they have a great. Not just wrestling, but a stand-up clinch game. Kamara Usman had it. Obviously, Daniel Cormier is—he loves the the clinch. Randy Couture, way back when. Um, if you're in the clinch, you have to have a step. And and what 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 Nelson's grips were kind of wrong, and he was like almost looked like he wanted to set up judo, but he didn't, and he wasn't using any judo at all. He wasn't using any Greco. He was trying to go down for takedowns, and he got a few. But a lot of times he didn't and he got destroyed. Then he was like – his volume is very low as a striker. But he's also like he's just his, – his gear is kind of like – there's no hustle. And um, uh, and so he had this amazing takedown at the end where he passed using a Leo Vieira passing system and he got right to the mount. So you took him down, vroom, right to the mount, super technical. got to the mount, did nothing. And it was like fifty seconds left. It was exactly fifty, some fifty-two seconds left. So if he had just teed off on him, and boom, he might even run around. But he's like, you know, and this is kind of like the downfall of like some jujitsu guys is they're so like. Step by step. And, you know, Eric Paulson used to call jujitsu a game of real estate where you're going boom. It's sort of like Monopoly where you want to build a house here and build a house here and, mm-hmm. you know, get to come railroads together. And it's like step by step, I very, very it, methodical, yeah. right? Yeah. And and yeah, that can serve you well, but it can also, like anything, it can also hamper you. Sometimes you just got to freaking go. And if you look at old Hickson, like when Hickson Hixon decided to go, he would go. You know, like you look at, you know, these guys that when they're in a position, they go, you know, like, especially with the strikes. And I, th- I think he was in mounting the guy and he mounted him for almost a minute and put almost no damage on him. Nothing. And I'm like, dude, you're losing the fight. And man, what are you, what are you doing? Um, so it was very frustrating. Although I'm i I'm a fan of Gunnar Nessler. I think he's a great guy, but, but you, he's, he's got to work on his stand up clinch and not take so much damage on the break. And, um. And find a find another gear. Man, there's there's gotta be hustle. And we always talk about like, um, you know, for me, it's how is MMA relevant to self-defense? You know, so you know, if somebody listens to this podcast, you know, a year from now, they're not even gonna remember this fight. But it, you know, what we wanna do is what do we want to learn from this fight is that, you know, imagine sometimes you have to finish a fight fast. You know, you 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 have to have this gear. Maybe you have to take care of this guy because there's his friend down the street. So You know, just being methodical, just being like boom, ba boom, ba boom, ba boom, taking your time. You can't always be that way. You have to have these these gears, these you know, the fifth gear ready to go, rev it up like Mm -hmm. a race car, and and that's to me, you know, we 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 say like, you know, you know, like a, a top MMA athlete or a top combat athlete, top anybody. What you should do is you should have different gears that you can switch into. You know, okay, your first gear. Boom, you know, okay. Taking a time, taking it slow. Boom, fifth gear. Vroom, come back, first gear. And that's also called, you know, like um, it, it's it's playing games with the pace. Some strikers are really good at that, and it it throws you off. Like you're going a little low, and they go a little fast. You go a little low, you a little fast. You know, Romero, we talked about. This, it's always like that. He's like he loves you in, and then vroom, he goes. <laughs> and that is the mark of a of a high performance machine, like a car and as a fighter you have to see your body as a machine you know and and I think that was also what what happened with Tyrone Woodley we didn't talk too much in depth but he lost his his fifth gear you mm-hmm. know by being just kind of like a counterpuncher or something and um you know Gunnar Nelson same thing very similar like you you have to train yourself to hustle when you need to hustle and that is an important combat prize fighting skill but also an important uh, uh self defense skill um okay so let's go but anyway let's go to the main event Till Masvidal, I'll, what was your impression of the fight? I,
0: so first, you you I were had, rooting for Till. I right? I picked uh, Till, yeah, um, to win, which went against everybody's opinion that I, that I know uh, was picking Masvidal, and I, right, right, rightfully so. Well, um, you
1: know, no, it's not so off the base. Why would you? Why would you pick Till? I, I
0: just like the way he uh, was moving in his last couple of fights. He's good. Uh, he's he's good. got. Very good striking ability. Absolutely. Which was uh surprising that <laughs>
1: and, and, and he's a long he's an imposing physical specimen with a lot and of big reach. guy, yeah. So I was leaning towards Masvidal, but I wouldn't say I was leaning heavily. I'm like, look, I can't call this fight because it's it's close. I would say I'll lean towards Masvidel, but you know, anything could happen. And you know, like it started out and freaking tilt drop Masvidal like it was nothing. Mm-hmm. So you, you know, it's you're not it's not crazy. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm not. Yeah. I won't apologize for my pick. You people out there, getting on me, don't so who, don't who, at me. Who, who got at you? Nobody got at me. You. Not yet, at least. Maybe eventually, I'll probably get a message from Nathan being like, "Huh, you lost another bet, <laughs> even though we we didn't bet." People just assume that we bet uh, because I'm not allowed to bet anymore.
1: You know why not? Yeah, I t- I don't know about that. Because I
0: lose. I'm a loser. <laughs> You not are not a loser. I can't win these things. No, you you see,
1: I only choose the bets that I know that I can win. Not no, oh, no.
0: I have a good sense that I can win. What was the fight that you picked like the total opposite? Like was it yeah. the the Rose last Rose fight? I think you picked the
1: uh, Yeah, yeah, the I gave underdog. you yeah, right. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. no, and also and, I was and, Rose uh, lost. and and uh and I I um Rose lost? No, she she didn't. No. She won. You I gave you I gave, I took Rose and you took um yeah. Nami units. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh cuz Nami's you're trying to throw me a bone on his yeah, yeah. went I did the it opposite again. way. He <laughs> did it again. You knew I was uh, You're That's like right. the second time you're like wait a minute, <laughs> wait a minute.
0: <laughs> I will never yeah. bet on a, on a John Jones fight cuz I know I'll pick him and he'll lose. <laughs> no,
1: no, yeah, you've jinx him. I'm no, but um but
0: it was a good fight. Um I mean I was surprised at the ending just because it was it went, you know, striking was
1: really a big factor and Masvidal knocked him out. Yeah, you know, it's Okay, this is how I see the fight. Is First of all, Masvel is a veteran. The kid grew up hard and he was fighting. 33. In, do you know his background? 33 wins. Do you know his background? No. He's from those um, video backyard fights from Florida. Oh. You know where Kimbo sliced Kimbo guys. Kimbo slice? And Kimbo was like the guy who found him. Oh, and he was. Well, like, if I
0: would known that, I would have picked him.
1: <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, and he he was, you know, he was he was doing these fights in in his backyard, and he also um wrestled in high school. And uh, unfortunately, he wasn't the best student, so that didn't the college the, the school stuff didn't work out for him. Mm-hmm. But um, but he was one of these backyard brawls, and you can see back way back when, you know, he's he's been fighting since he was a kid. So there's a collected le- and technical. I mean, he was he was he wasn't like brawling. He was he had some proto, you know, skill in boxing and he's always developed it. And he has a very good wrestling background. And um I've always been a fan of his. I think what happens is some some fights didn't go his way because he was just fighting you know very high level guys or you know he I think he had some conditioning problems, things like that or just just you know re- maturing as a fighter, but he has a lot of a lot of ring experience. I've never seen him have a bad fight. That I've seen I haven't seen every single one of his fight, But I've never seen him have a bad fight. He's always in there, always competitive, always technical, always slick. And I've been a fan of his. Um, not of his mullet now though, but that's a different story. <laughs> 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 and um, he's a very good in-fighter and he's tricky. And what he did in this fight was the first thing he did, what I absolutely loved, is he went for a double leg. So he's going for the guy's legs, knee taps the guy. So he's holding the guy's knee. Let's the guy defend and comes over with this calacious freaking overhand bomb. That to me is what I love. It's strapling. It's not striking. It's not grappling. It's strapling. You heard it here first. You strapling. heard it here first. It's strapping. I'm creating my own martial art. Strapping. Strapping. And um, but that's what MMA is. It's this a combination of two. And he faked him out. He's like, "Oh, you think we're grappling? No, we're not. We're striking." Mm-hmm. And then he was angle changing in real ways. Um. We call this move in, in our academy called the power hook where you angle out with a hook and I saw him catch him in this and basically – but the, he was beating Till in the infighting. One thing is Till is an outfighter a little bit. He likes you to be on the edge of his jab. He likes to, he likes you to be on the edge of his punches because he has long arms. He's a guy used to having the reach and using it and he's effective. Um, uh, I haven't studied Till that much but when he's out – on when you're in his, in his range, in his reach – you know, he's effective. What he doesn't like, which is a lot of guys, is when you get deep inside his range. What Tyson used to do with all the guys in there, in the old days, would get in on the reach, because Tyson was a, a heavyweight with very short arms. And he would get in on you, and then he would beat you up from the, from the clinch. And, and was like, I have no problem being in a clinch with you because, um, I'm better there, and you're not really much of a grappler. So I don't have to worry about you taking me down and, and putting pressure on me. I don't have to worry about that. And, um, uh, although although there was some takedowns and stuff like that, Till actually actually Till Till had one takedown, but it was more like a Muay Thai thing where he caught the caught the kick. Mm. Um, however, you could see that each time Masvidal went into the into the into the inner range, into that close quarter battle range, he's like, "Oh, I got it, I got it." And as the fight went, he got more and more understanding of what Till was bringing and where he was uncomfortable. And his finish was like a TJ Dillashaw finish. It's 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 a switch stance. He did switch stance, punch, and then came with the with the uh, I believe it was um it was a left hook, oh well, left a left hook, and uh and and it was a great combination, very technical. But he's always he's always kind of like playing with the angles, and it just showed a savvier striker. Till will be back, but he also needs some more. Um, you can see it with his loss to um to Woodley. You could see it here. He needs a few more tools in his pocket to mm-hmm. to be in that in that top. Sounds top like don't really did his homework on this one. You know, it's interesting because okay, um, I did not know. You know, this is a this is an issue, and you bring you you said do your homework, which means study your opponent and game plan, right? So there's two types of coaching. There's one where we're gonna game plan the crap out of uh, an opponent, right? Okay, so this is what he does, and this, and we're gonna do this, and this, and this, and there's the other type of coaching where it's like. Hmm. Um, well, we're gonna get sk- our broad skill base and we'll just fight. Mm-hmm. And whoever you put in front of us we'll just we'll just fight and we'll push our game. And there's just two camps to the side. And I think um if you look at um what's it uh, Hard Knocks three sixty five, three three you know, the 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 Kamara Usman gym, mm-hmm. they are like, Well, we don't game plan that much because really we just train in the day. And then you go to like some other guys like um like I think um Trevor Whitman is very known for like, oh, we're gonna game plan this guy and this guy and this guy. You know, it's a different style, right? But I think at the end of the day, you know, you wanna do your homework, but you also don't want to be trapped in that. Cause this is what happened to Conor McGregor. They game plan, game plan, game plan, right? And then they're like, Okay, we're gonna avoid the grappling, we're gonna avoid the grappling, we're gonna do this, we're gonna do this. And then you're like, but but you know, what if it goes there? You know, mm-hmm. what if the game plan doesn't work? And I'm dealing with this with my fighter right now. It's like we have a fight big fight coming up on April 20th. And it's like how much do we game plan how much we don't? And I would say that yeah, you know, we're game planning a little, but basically this is how we approach it. And I think again, going back to like how do you prepare for self defense? Because you don't know who you're going to fight in the street. So what you do is you you, you I, we have gears. And by this gears I don't mean the speeds, but I mean like like okay, for this kind of fighter, this is my game plan. For this kind of fighter, this is my game plan. This is kind of fighter, this is my game plan. And you train these every day. And they're not the infinite number of like, oh, you know, like 10,000 guys. So you you basically have these like, okay, if a guy does this type movement, we'll do this. If a guy does this, we'll do this. And we kind of base it around these these archetypes of who they are. And then we develop. We go, okay, we go this game this, plan, this game plan, this game plan, this game plan, this game plan. And it's something we train every day. Right? And then- You know, because you have to worry. Like Matt, what if we game plan for a fighter, but he comes in and he totally changes his style? You're like, crap! You're not doing what you're supposed to do. Sure, you cannot be um, pigeonholed.
0: pigeonholed, Pigeonhole,
1: right? You can't be um, uh, uh, trapped into your training. Now you should develop certain. Okay, the guy kind of moves like this. Okay, this is this is the best option. Okay, he's a southpaw. When you fight southpaws, they like to have their feet here. They like to do this. They like to do this. They like to the liver, sh- you know, kicking to your body. Okay, blah 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 blah. Okay, this is how we're gonna respond to that. Okay, you got this guy. This guy's a brawler. He's gonna try to charge you, get in your face, put pressure. He's a pressure fighter. Oh, this guy's a counter fighter. Oh, this. And we have like um, we have different ways to develop your fighter. And I think you have to develop your fighter to say, hey, these are the gears. And the best coaches I've seen in the ring, you're like, okay, we're doing this, and they give the name. To a specific thing, like uh, I remember, it was one fighter. Shoot, it was a low level, it was an undercard. I forget the camp. It was not a like a well known camp. But he goes do the Henry Cejudo, and I knew exactly <laughs> what he was doing. I knew what he's doing because I'd studied Henry. I'm like, oh, he's gonna do this, this, this. Go for the go for the inside trip, and then he's gonna come over and try to. I'm like, I knew exactly what he's talking about because it was like guy was defending in a way that Henry Cejudo was like, yeah. you know, you could tell that they had these these planned. Responses and he calls out. He doesn't say hit the overhand or hit this. He's like, here, here's this thing, yeah. Henry Cejudo. Boom! And the guy's like, yeah, got it. Boom! That's where we're going. We're going into this, this, this game plan. And it's not like, oh, okay, like they did the Henry Cejudo the whole camp. I, I could tell. Like he just called it out. It was just something they did in training. Yeah. And oh, do the, do the Dillashaw. This is one thing we do in work. we Do the Dillashaw. Fight like Dillashaw. Boom, boom. You're going to this. And like that's the that's the the key to that puzzle. So this guy's giving you a puzzle, boom, you go to this key. Mm-hmm. This guy's giving this, go to this. And Are there any
0: successful fighters that- Don't uh, game plan? Just do the same thing every time?
1: Oh, there have been many. I mean, many. Um, First of all, the first guy to do that, the first guy that you could say that really did the exact same thing every single fight without changing and brought him to the pinnacle of the sport, St. Pierre. Actually, maybe not first. You know what? Oh. Probably Tito Ortiz. But George St. Pierre did the exact same takedown, did the exact same guard pass, almost every single fight. I Uh mean, you look at the way he passed the guard. It's the same every single freaking fight. And the takedown and the way he, like, pretty much the same, I mean, he added little things here and there, like he worked with Freddie Roach and really added his jab and this, but it would always go back to his, like, his bread and butter. And Tito Ortiz would be like, I'm going to double leg you, with smash my head into your ribs, grab your legs, pull you down pressure you, and ground and pound you.
0: Now, when you talk about somebody that that does the same thing every time, I have this picture of somebody in my head, and it's Tito Ortiz. It's the guy that is like, I'm better than you. No matter what you do, I'm going to beat you. It's not George St. Pierre. Like, Tito Ortiz and George St. Pierre are totally different Very people. Very
1: different, yeah.
0: But that's interesting that they had the same tactics throughout their career.
1: Well, I think I think in stand-up striking, George St. Pierre was a little bit more, like, let me add this, let me add that, let me move around. Tito Ortiz was like, bop, bop, bop. Take you down, ground and pound. Like, that's it. Yeah. You know, like, oh, like that's all I'm going to do. And he was a different era. George St. Pierre had to be maybe a little trickier to get to where he wanted. But whenever he did, whenever he took you down, he passed the exact, he'd do can opener. So you grab the guy's neck. He'd twist his neck. The guy would open his guard. He'd put himself in half guard. He'd pass the half guard. Every single time, <clears throat> the same, <clears throat> every single time, the same fight. Yeah. Every time. You can't do that
0: really that much now. I mean, there's so many people no, out there that did it. He did it in his I last mean, fight. Re- yeah, yeah he did it in recent. his last
1: fight in Big <laughs> Wow, Well, <does> Yeah, <laughs> Hall but, of Famer. Know, Mr. Hall of Famer. Right. <laughs> you know, I and then and then um But Dan, you know who else does that? Daniel Cormier. Like in the clinch, he does that same kind of like mm-hmm. limp army to the overhand that he caught Stipe with. It's it's a, it's like his bread and butter. I think that's like a generational
0: thing because they were raised Doing something so many times. And like maybe when they were coming up, they weren't learning such mixed martial arts. Right. And right, they were right, specializing right. and they have muscle memory. And when they get in this hole in the clinch, they're like, boom, I'm going to do this. And maybe guys coming up now that are more working out at places like Radical that are more open to mixing
1: things more. I, they won't get pigeonholed. I, you know, I don't know. We, we talked about this a little bit on one episode. Generalize, generalization versus specificity. And I think I'm not saying that um, that George St Pierre didn't have more tools in his pocket. I think he does. He absolutely, didn't, he didn't need him. He didn't need him, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, hey, this is my this is my first shot. Okay, worked good. I guess I didn't have to, you know, go deep in my playbook. Yeah. I'm sure he did. I, I saw this video of him training in in TriStar, and this was actually somewhat recent. And he's doing a, some some really modern new stuff. You know that they're, the TriStar guys are experimenting with, and you know, and stuff that I'd never seen him do in the ring. So. I guarantee that he has that that deep playbook mm-hmm. of things to do but he was so good at that one thing that he never had to it works he never works with well, right? exactly. the gear it, if you it, can it, win it with four if it ain't broke don't fix it right <laughs> exactly and you know um and and I think this is the advantage that specific uh, people who come from one style like Daniel Cormier um you know have is they do one thing really well because they, they they were elite at that thing, so they can push it on you. You once they get to that place, they can. And Kamar Usman is a very good example. You know, basically he did the same thing the whole fight. He pushed Taiwan Woolley against the fence, smashed him against the fence, brutalized him, and took him down. That was the whole. That was basically the whole Kamar Usman fight, right? right? So he wasn't really doing anything else it was pretty great though it was yeah. i mean that's not that's not a criticism that was amazing yeah. like you know if this is working, you know keep doing it <laughs> and um you know and Khabib. Khabib is like I gut wrench you around the waist and I ride that out till you just wanna die I grab your wrist i i grapevine your leg and then I beat the live every living shit out of you yeah. like you know Khabib is like it's it's so they do these couple things. Incredibly well. And I'll tell you, even though we like to encourage a deep playbook at Radical, um, and I think at any gym, they 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 most gyms encourage a deep playbook, but you gotta have that one thing that's yours. And I always say this like, okay, Matt, you're a samurai. Samurai Matt. Cool. Matt, what do you have on your hip? I have swords. Exactly. Swords. Now, you might have a bow and arrow. You might have some other stuff. You actually have three swords. You might have you have the Tanto, the Wakizashi, and the and the and the Katana. But if you're gonna say which one you did, it's the katana. That's your sword. That's your that's your life. That's your goat. That's your thing. That's your jam. You have to have one thing that you are a you, that that's your that's your jam that's a special your stuff move. yeah a special move right your special like we were talking about the combination the little a b a b a b bob that's my you know mm. Hadokan or something right mm. you know every fighter has to have that that one thing they do Conor McGregor what does he got he got that that bazooka in his hand and everything is to set up that bazooka mm-hmm. and um you know Jose Aldo low kicks you know every fighter has that one thing that they're like whoa that's amazing and if you don't have that. Generally you you know, you're just kind of really good at everything. Generally you don't get to the upper upper echelon because mm-hmm. you need that one thing that's like, hey, this where I'm here, now you're dead. Yeah. You know? And I mean, look at um what's his name? Um uh um shoot, uh the Uri Faber team, the entire team, you know, the team alpha male team, yeah. you know, known for their head and arm you guillotines. Like all the entire team, it's like, okay, we're we're wrestlers and we're this, but man, if we latch onto your head and arm, you're gonna have a bad day. And everybody knows that. It's great. It's it's a, it's a really cool thing. Yeah. Um I encourage each of my students to have their own, you know, special move that they refine over and over again. Chi so Blast. Chi blast. Yeah. Not chi blast. Sorry. <laughs> well, if they can do it, do it. They, yes. You know what? If I'm can, all in favor. Yes. If you can if you can win a fight with Chi... <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, before we leave, I, I want to talk about uh, you, this deadly weapon. Well, not deadly weapon, but this uh, self defense yeah. tool uh, that Renee has for us today, because we we like to talk about some cool gadgets and self defense. Yes, uh, yes. What do you got there, Wolverine?
1: All right. So, uh, this is a, a device called the the um, Tiger Lady. Tiger Lady. And you know we're very um, interested in self defense. And um, so I'm always looking at self-defense products that that have an ability to keep you safe. And you know we introduced the last one we talked about was the the little viper, which is that is that is that is amazing. It's this you know little a uh, hand uh, uh, um wrist wrist like looks like a wrist uh, uh, wristwatch, mm-hmm. but you wear it and it sprays pepper spray. So it's instantly deployable. Now this is more I think developed uh, for joggers. And it is a thing you keep in your hand. And when you press on it, three claws come out to a rake a guy's face or something like that. Mm. And I played around with it and it actually feels really good in the hand. Um, and it is really freaking sharp. And I will not be mean to you, Matt, at you, too because then <laughs>
0: <laughs> <I appreciate laughs> I'm going to get kicked off the I show. I have no that. place to do
1: my podcast because your wife is going to kill me. <laughs> um, but it it is a very effective tool. However, I have some problems with this. All right. And this is number one. There was a study um, done of self-defense training. So this is not weapons, but self-defense training and the use of eye gouging in, by victims to defend themselves when they're being assaulted. So things like eye gouging or things like that. It found that most women, it was mostly primarily women studied, uh, I, I have to. I don't have the study in front of me, but it was like most women had a natural hesitation to eye gouge. Even when they were in a kind of life or death scenario. so it's, they, it's icky, right? But it's not just icky. But you're told, like Matt, you're a nice guy, and I'm 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 actually most people say I'm not a nice guy, but <laughs> but you know, but to what did your mom tell you? you said mom said, Matt, don't stick your finger in people's eye. How old were you when she first said that? Probably two, because you're two and you probably stuck your finger in someone's eye accidentally. And you're like, don't do I that. I actually
0: scratched my mom's cornea. Oh, you did? I did. So I learned that early on. Yeah, how old were you? I think I was like one. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly, right, right. right. But no, exactly. And so those, those, those socializations, those, those, those learned habits, traits are very, very hard to overcome. Mm. You, basic humanity, and this is why soldiers very often come back from war with, you know. A lot of PTSD is not the only reason, obviously, but basically you're told be a good person, be a good person, and then you do nine weeks of training, and you so go kill everybody in front of you. Mm-hmm. And you can't make that switch. It's mm-hmm. not easy. Now, some soldiers you know, through their training are able to do that, and obviously PTSD, PTSD is a big issue. This is not the only reason I'm not saying that. But it is one is basically your whole life you're told don't do things, and then you're told do them. And this is a really big self-defense issue. For me personally, I was always like – you know, doing karate, but my parents were like, "Don't ever hit someone in anger. Don't do, this, don't do this. Don't do this." That's so strong that actually, when I was in slightly like kind of self-defensey bullying type scenario, I really, really held back. To the, the, um, I mean, I wasn't in a life or death situation. It's more like a like a you know junior high school, high school bullying kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But I really held back because I'm like, oh, I don't want to, you know, get to the point where it endangered me. So I, I could not, you know, let slip the dogs of war when I needed it, because I was so socialized. You know, my parents were very worried about. You know, I did karate at a young age and they, it's training a long time, so they're very worried about me hurting someone, legitimately, mm-hmm. and that's not a that's not a bad thing. And I think that's the 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 criticism of uh, or the, the 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 worry of a lot of mothers out there um, when their kids do martial arts. They're like, I don't want my son to be a bully. I don't want him to you know hurt people. Great, of course, totally understood, but. When we when we socialize people so much, uh, particularly women uh, are socialized to be a, a certain way. I'm not saying that's a good thing, but they are. And so, tools like this. Every single girl I've shown this tool, they they cringe when I show it to them. Mm. They cringe. So it's an effective tool, but at the same time, it, and I, I brought in the academy like Ooh, like that. Oh, it's icky, like you said. So we have this. If you're going to use a tool like this, you have to understand the natural tendency of humans. To not deploy this thing because it's like, whoa, I don't want to do that. And, and let me tell you, this is all unconscious. You'd say, oh, no, of course, if my life were threatened, I would have no problem scratching some guy's face out. The thing is, it's not a, that's a rational choice. You're not in a rational zone. You're, you're being attacked. It's all emotional. It's all programming. It's subconscious. So, you know, and this study, I think, it was from um, University of Texas AM or something like that. They said that, you know, they're doing all this like eye-gouging, self-defense stuff and they never used it. Um, even when they had, according to these, you know, after-action reports, opportunities to, they didn't, because we're kind of socialized that, which which changed the way people taught self-defense. So any self-defense that's based around eye gouging and stuff like that is problematic because most women, unless you train them in martial arts all the time, you know, boom, 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 and then you know, overcome that socialization, it's still going to be there. And for me, like I said, I haven't. I see in my students too, students who who are good guys. And um, I had one student he just joined. He's victim of uh, a, a racially motivated bullying um, and a really nice guy though. And, um, but he's been taught to be a gentleman and a nice person all his life. So he does not understand how to tap into his inner Conan the Barbarian mm. without feeling guilt. And we have this, and we have to, as self-defense instructors, we have to understand that. So this tool is actually, as a functional tool, I I, kind of like it. Obviously, there's a little bit of a deployment issue. You might have to run with it in your hand and things like that. But it's cool. But the thing is, every single woman I showed it to, to use, they're like, that makes me uncomfortable. And it, it was really interesting. So I would say I recommend the tool and I think they're really – it's a good product, well-made product. I've used it, um, tested it out on a, on a sandbag and very, very sturdy, good, well-made product, easy to carry, feels good in the hand. Mm-hmm. So good. But if you're going to use it as a, as a self-defense tool, um, you have to understand that most people are not prepared to 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 use this on someone's claw someone's face All right. and um so so it's a little problematic but i i think everybody should you know uh in look at this tool cuz i think it's a really good company too i don't want to i don't want to say something bad about a company that is doing like uh yeah. trying to do a good work you know well,
0: tigerlady.com it's only $35 free yeah.
1: shipping from the website not to confuse with tiger moms no don't go there yeah and um, then, then it, it's a you know, only only a minus not good enough a plus <laughs> <laughs>
0: Also, uh, be wary of anybody that picks this up and uses it without any uh, guilty conscience, because they're probably a psychopath, um, as Renee says. <laughs> He's got stuff in his mouth he can't contradict me. Um, but no, seriously, maybe it, maybe it's a little bit more of a, just a, a peace of mind. if yeah, you, yeah. If you're never going to use it, maybe it just keeps you. You feel like if you had
1: to, you could. If I had to choose between this one and the little viper, I would absolutely choose the little viper because, yeah. you know, the, the 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 one it's instantly deployable. And the other thing about the little viper that was really cool is because nobody had that reaction, like, oh I'll just spray it in his face, he'll can't see, and I run away. Yeah. So this is more intimate. <laughs> yeah, this is this is more like I'm gonna, you know, mess you up. But again, it's also a deployability issue. Um it is it is it is something you have to have in your hand. And um I really like the concept of the little viper. Still that's my number one because it's it's just you're wearing it on your wrist and you know, you could you could wear it on your wrist at a club. You could wear it on your wrist at uh, you know, um, hanging during, out with friends. Just, your wedding, just looks like anything. a Fitbit. Yeah. It looks like a Fit. <laughs> it looks like a Fitbit, and and then you just spray it in, in, in. You're in a situation where you need to get out. It's it's right there. Um, particularly, you know, a lot of people doing the online dating. Um, if you're you know unsure about how where things go, or you're in a bar or something like that, there's always a, something you can do to, to to just wear it on your wrist, and it, it just looks like a. Like a like a like a Fitbit. So that is my number one for self defense so far. I really like it a lot. Um uh this one, Tiger Lady is still a good product, but I would say, you know what, it's the best thing to do is if you're jogging, uh and you're jogging and then assaults on women joggers are common, this is also something you have that you can kinda of hold in your hand and this is maybe something you have while you're while you're jogging, or something like that.
0: I'm gonna get all I'm gonna get two tiger ladies and and then uh, two of the snake things. The little Vipers. Little Vipers. And I'm going <laughs> to run around the
1: park and say, oh, so
0: attack me. Let's go. <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up for us. Uh, check out TigerLady.com. We're not affiliated with them, but it's still a good product and a good company. Yeah, good product. Good um, so look into that. And then a little Viper on Amazon for 20 bucks. Great. Not park. legal in New York State. Well, Tiger Lady is legal in New York State. It is. Um, so grab it and then uh, go run in the park. But don't tell them we... I, I don't, I don't condone <laughs> that. Don't look for a fight. Don't look for a fight. <laughs> Uh, but be ready if one shows up for you. All right, we'll
1: and uh, s- and also, don't worry about belts.
0: Don't worry about <laughs> belts unless you need one. Then uh, wear a belt. Yeah. Uh, check Make out it match radical. Check out radical MMA uh, YouTube channel. Yes. And they're also sharing some uh, clips on the Instagram, the radical MMA uh, Instagram. What is it just a radical MMA? Rab- MMA?
1: Radical MMA NYC.
0: They're, and uh, uh,
1: yeah, so we're going to be talking about um, you know how to play. How to, where to place your hands when you're playing a guard, especially when someone's fighting fighting you mm. you know, uh, with punches.
0: I learned where to place my hands in middle school. And that's all <laughs> we have for tonight. Let's uh, see you later.
1: Thanks for listening. Follow us on Twitter at Marshall
0: underscore Culture and on Instagram at Marshall Culture Cast. Please leave a review on iTunes and we'll see you next time on the Marshall Culture Podcast.